0: Toby Logsdon, and this is your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts dot org. Lesson one in Proverbs chapter thirteen verse seven, Solomon writes: "There is one who pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, but has great wealth." You know, most people go through life without realizing just how dangerous money can be. The Bible says a lot more about money than it does about a lot of other issues in life because nothing can make us feel more safe than having things and having money. The contrast that Solomon gives us in this passage is between two men. One man has a great deal of money and possessions and feels like he has something that matters. The other person doesn't find joy in collecting things, but lives a humble life despite the fact that he has something that matters more than what the first man has. I recently read a story about a man who grew up with very little and yet wanted much, and so he worked hard and invested in land. He started small and continued to buy more land as he was able to afford it, and soon he turned his land into a ranch, into a farm, and began making even more money than he had before. And as he made more money, he bought more and more adjacent land. And one day... A pastor stopped by his house to invite him to church, and the man said, Pastor, look to the west. As far as your eyes can see, I rightfully own it all. Look to the east, north, and south, and it's all the same. I own it all. What can God give me that could add to what I already have earned for myself? The pastor put one hand on the man's shoulder, pointed upward to the sky with his other hand, and asked the man, How much do you have in that direction? And the point of this story is the same point that Solomon is making force here in Proverbs: "A poor person with salvation has something of greater value than a rich person who relies on their riches and their things for comfort." In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 8, Solomon writes, "The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but the poor hears no rebuke. One of the advantages of having a lot of money... If you want to call it an advantage is having the ability to buy your way out of certain situations and predicaments. Usually, a ransom has something to do with money and it 's demanded from a person who has enough of it that other people will know that they have plenty of it. The more wealth they have, the more their life is worth when it comes to a ransom. In other words, a person who has let's say a hundred thousand dollars to their name would be able to fork over a hundred thousand dollars for a ransom. Someone with five million dollars could pay a ransom of five million dollars in this sense their life is worth more and more as their wealth increases. A poor person on the other hand, isn't even worth the trouble of demanding a ransom and is thus rarely faced with situations in which a steep ransom is demanded for their life. As John Phillips writes in his commentary on Proverbs, he says, quote, the rich man has the advantage of being able to buy his way out of many difficult and dangerous situations. The poor man has the advantage of not having to worry about threats from the envious, end quote. So the point here is that while riches can get one out of trouble, it's better not to be faced with the threats or trouble of death. Reading this in light of the previous verse, the rich person who doesn't have salvation can lose their worth with a single threat, whereas the poor person who trusts in Jesus for their salvation has something of infinite worth, which they cannot lose. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 9, Solomon writes, "...the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked goes out." This is actually the third time in chapter 13 that we've seen a contrast drawn out between the righteous and the wicked. The first two were in verses 5 and 6. We should note then that verses 5 and 6 form one bookend and verse 9 here forms another, making an interpretive frame for verses 7 and 8. The image of a lamp represents a long joyful life and the Hebrew word that gets translated as rejoices in this uh, in this passage can also be interpreted as shines brightly. In In light of these notes on the text, we see that the righteous person has a joy that the world can clearly see even... Even in the storms of life, when you wouldn't expect that light to continue shining. The wicked, however, find joy in their situation rather than in their salvation. For that reason, when the storms of life pass over, they return to utter darkness. Jesus once said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. That's from John chapter 8 verse 12. Revelation chapter 22 verse 5 says, And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. See the lesson here is that the person who doesn't know the joy of salvation in Christ Jesus will continually find themselves in darkness and the day is coming when only those in Jesus will live outside of permanent darkness. In our next verse Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10 Solomon writes through insolence comes nothing but strife but wisdom is with those who receive counsel The word insolence refers to a deep-seated pride. Solomon knows all about pride and undoubtedly struggled with it himself as his power and his influence continued to grow. He knew it well enough to tell us that it brings strife within the person who doesn't turn away from it. For that reason, he draws a contrast here between pride and wisdom. A person who's filled with pride shuns wisdom because wisdom involves listening to counsel, and the proud person thinks they've already got it all figured out. Like the bumper sticker says, everything I should know now, I used to know when I was a teenager. The fact is, the younger we are and the more prideful, we are, the more we think we have things all figured out. But that type of attitude leads to a life of contention, of strife, where experience proves a person wrong time and time again. The lesson here is that if you're too proud to listen to people who have been there and have done that, you're unwisely heading down a road that will ultimately prove to make you very unhappy. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11, Solomon writes, Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. You see, there are two kinds of wealth. There's wealth that's earned, and there's wealth that's unearned. The concept of unearned wealth might seem strange, but that's the concept that entire cities like Las Vegas have been built on. While this hasn't always been the case, some today would also argue that even the stock market could be considered unearned wealth, since the last couple of years have shown that money invested in the stock market can be here today and gone tomorrow. Inheritance would also count as unearned wealth, as would the lottery. Speaking of the lottery, have you ever wondered why some people oppose it so strongly? You know, I remember when we had first moved to North Carolina, there was no lottery there, but there was a big fuss by the local churches about bringing the lottery to the state. They wanted to keep it out. The state was trying to bring it in. So why were the churches trying to keep it out? Because it's unethical. You see, a person who plays the lottery wants this unearned wealth, and they typically aren't hardworking people. The lottery system preys on people who want to make money the easy way. Solomon tells us that unearned wealth will dwindle. The reason for that is simple. Once a person has this unearned wealth, they start spending it. They don't save it and it's gone in no time. Solomon contrasts the person who obtains wealth without earning it with the person who gathers their wealth through labor. For the person who works diligently for their wealth, they're more likely to be saving it up as they go along because they know how hard they had to work to get it in the first place. Their plan isn't to save it up just so they can spend it frivolously. It's to save it for a time when they'll actually need it. So the lesson here is to develop a good, strong work ethic early in life so that you can fully understand the value of earning Your wealth. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, Solomon writes, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. With this verse, Solomon moves away from talking about money and starts talking about something else that's just as important to people desires. In fact, when we look at the text closely, we see this verse and verse 19 discuss the same principle, thus signifying that Solomon is using this section to discuss that issue. Desires. There does, however, seem to be an implied connection of sorts between verses 11 and 12. We should note that the contrast being made here isn't to address a certain lifestyle or type of behavior. Instead, it contrasts two outcomes hope deferred and desire fulfilled the more we learn about the apostle paul the more we see that his hope was deferred his hope was to see the nation of israel return to faithfulness to god but he knew that that was going to have to wait until the fullness of the gentiles have been saved that's from romans chapter 11 verse 25 nevertheless paul was very clearly broken hearted about israel's current unfaithfulness in romans chapter 9 verse 2 he told his audience that he had great sorrow and unceasing grief because why Because he knew that Israel was being unfaithful to God. No doubt about it, Paul's attitude toward Israel demonstrates the principle that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When we have to wait for something that we want more than almost anything else, it stirs up a deep grieving inside of us and this is contrasted with the principle that desire fulfilled is a tree of life Solomon has used this image of a tree of life a couple other times so far in our study of Proverbs and we know that it pertains to wisdom and the speech of a righteous person and you know When I try to think of a biblical example of someone whose desires were fulfilled, I think of Peter. He was one of the two disciples of Jesus who raced to the tomb upon hearing that it was empty. He had heard that Jesus had risen, but he hadn't witnessed Jesus with his own two eyes. The last time he had seen Jesus, Jesus had told him that he would betray Jesus, a claim which Peter adamantly denied and would indeed later fulfill. His desire, Peter's desire, was to be loved by Jesus despite his wandering heart. When Jesus finally showed up on the shore while Peter was out fishing on the lake, Peter was so overwhelmed with eagerness to see Jesus again, he jumped out of his boat and into the lake and swam to the shore to see Jesus. He couldn't wait to have his desire to get things right again with Jesus fulfilled. From that point forward, Peter was fully devoted to serving Jesus. He never looked back at his old life as a fisherman again. In our next verses, Proverbs chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, Solomon writes, The one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. The contrast that Solomon gives us here is between someone who hates being told what to do or how to do something and someone who has a fear of what Solomon calls the commandment. We first of all have to understand that Solomon is referring to a godly fear here. There are different types of fear. There's a fear that stems from respecting the source of a statement or a commandment, but there's also a fear which amounts to looking out for one's own best interests. The person who fears out of self-interest will despise the advice or commands that they're given because they'd rather do things their own way. But self-preservation is a top priority. On the other hand, the person who obeys a command out of respect for the source of the command isn't looking to preserve themselves as much as they're looking to honor and show respect to that source. Now remember, this particular passage is dealing with desires. So let me ask you this. Which is a greater desire for you? To look out for your own interests or to honor the Lord and all that you do. For the person who looks out for their own interests, Solomon tells us that they'll be in debt to the source of the commands. They'll have to pay one way or another. But the person who honors the Lord will be blessed. So the choice is ours to make, pay or be blessed. To despise the counsel of God is a snare of death. But that very same thing, which is a snare of death to the unwise, is a fountain of life to the person whose desire in life is to honor the Lord and thus heeds his counsel. The same instrument can be a blessing or a curse. Given the choice between being cursed or blessed, the wise person will choose God's blessings every time. This concludes Lesson 2. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, Solomon writes, Good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. In this verse, Solomon continues discussing the subject of our desires. In the previous verses, Solomon showed us that the person who seeks to honor the Lord's commands, out of a fearful respect for Him, will find the teachings of the Word of God to be a fountain of life, which represents a source of true wisdom. In light of the previous verse, then, what type of understanding is this verse talking about? When Solomon tells us that a good understanding produces favor, he's reiterating the principle we learned in the last passage, that if we truly love and seek to honor God, we'll have God's favor manifested in our lives. It's not a magic formula that we're capable of manipulating for ourselves. Rather, God knows the desires of our hearts, and He also knows what's in our own best interest. And so for that reason, when we dedicate ourselves to understanding Him, we see that all things, all things, really do work for the good of those who love him. Just like Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, Even in times when we feel like the ship is sinking in the storms of life, we know that God led us to the storms and will see us through the storms. That is favor. In one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible, Psalm 23, David describes in verse 3 how God leads us on the path of righteousness. In the very next verse, however, verse 4, David tells us that he finds himself in the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, even when we're following right after God, even when we're following Him closely, we might find ourselves in places we'd rather not be. But the wise person recognizes this as God's favor, nonetheless, because it's a place that God brought them for their own good. Solomon contrasts this with the way of the treacherous, which he says is hard. The person who isn't walking with God and isn't trusting in God is going to stumble when the storms of life come. They don't have peace because they feel like they have to rely on themselves to get out of the storm rather than trusting in the God who both created and can still the seas. The lesson here is simple. Learn God's word and love it. Grow to understand it by studying it. The payoff is seeing and experiencing God's favor in your life. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 16, Solomon writes, Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays folly. Now at this point, I think we'd be wise to note that between verses 15 and 16, we have a collection of terms that are scattered throughout the book of Proverbs. Understanding, favor, prudence, knowledge, fool, and folly. Looking back at the first few verses of the first chapter of Proverbs, we find these same words as reasons that we should be studying the book of Proverbs. The purpose of reading the book, according to Solomon himself, was, quote, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding. That's verse two. And then he goes on to say, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. That's from verses four and five. And then he goes on to write, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's from verse seven. So these are all words that we've seen in the last couple verses that come from actually the beginning of the book. Now the contrast that Solomon's making in this particular proverb is between the actions of a prudent man and the actions of a fool. What does your life display? It all starts with your attitude toward God, who is true wisdom. The prudent person considers consequences in the future, whereas the fool is only able to think about the here and now. When we only consider the present moment, we're bound to have a life that's filled with poor choices. It's better for us to live in the here and now, but to keep the future in our perspective as well. With that said, get yourself in the habit of consistently considering possible future consequences for actions that you engage in today. You'll save yourself from looking like an idiot in front of everyone else. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 17, Solomon writes, A wicked messenger falls into adversity, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Now, the contrast that Solomon makes out for us here is between a wicked messenger, and the type of results that characterize their life, and a faithful envoy, and the results that characterize their life as well. Now, one of the things that we've been talking about over the past few verses is the importance of having a desire to know and honor God by studying and knowing his word. And we should read this verse in light of that context. See, back in Solomon's day, prior to email and prior to even the existence of a postal service, people relied on messengers to deliver important messages. Life and death often hung in the balance when a messenger was hired and sent. Now imagine how catastrophic it would have been for the messenger to relay the wrong message. Imagine, for example, a messenger who's sent to deliver a message for a ceasefire, but instead delivers a message of increase fire. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, Paul tells us that God has a message for us to be bringing to the world. A message of reconciliation. Paul writes, He, that is God, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. But many wicked messengers have come with a false message, teaching that God has no interest in having sinners be reconciled to him, or that we have to earn reconciliation with him. Something more important than life or death hangs in the balance here, friends. We're talking about the eternal destiny of people who were created in the image of God. If we're faithful with the message we've been entrusted with, Solomon's words will be proven true. We will indeed bring healing. This concludes Lesson 3. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 18, Solomon writes, Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. Here again Solomon continues discussing the issue of human desires the contrast here is between the reward for the person who neglects discipline and for the person who regards reproof the word reproof should ring a bell here it's one of those things for which God's word the Bible is profitable according to the Apostle Paul which he wrote in second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. so what exactly is reproof basically it means that it shows us where we're in need of correction it shows us our darkness it shows us our sinfulness and the ugliness in ourselves. Solomon says that if you regard this reproof, that is, if you take it to heart, believing it to be accurate instead of being in denial about it, you will be honored. This honor might not always be from men, and it might not always come before men. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me... The Father will honor him. That's from John chapter 12, verse 26. The person who honors God in their life will ultimately be honored by God. On the other hand, the person who hates being corrected isn't going to pay any attention to the reproof offered in scripture. They'd rather go into denial regarding their sin nature and the ugliness in their heart. The person who ignores reproof will inescapably neglect discipline in their lives as well. And the result, Solomon tells us, is poverty and shame. The person who lives for riches and prestige will actually end up with the exact opposite things that they lived for in the long run. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia saying, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So if you're walking by the Spirit, you will regard reproof. But if you're walking in the desires of the flesh, you will neglect discipline. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 19, Solomon writes, Desire realized is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to turn away from evil. Solomon concludes this small section in which he's discussed the issue of human desires with this verse, telling us that it's sweet to our souls, that is, it's rewarding, when desires for righteousness are realized. Now, the fact that it's desires for righteousness that Solomon is referring to here is pretty clearly implied because it's contrasted with the fool who, as Solomon says, thinks it's an abomination to turn away from evil. This is the opposite of righteousness, right? God, who is perfectly righteous in all of his ways because his nature prevents him from being otherwise, views all evil as an abomination. Only a truly depraved and wicked person would view avoiding evil as an abomination. The truly wise person feels a deep satisfaction when they realize or when they obtain the desires of their heart. So if the desire of your heart is to know and honor God by learning and studying his words, and equally importantly, living out his commands as revealed in scripture, you'll discover that it's far more satisfying than anything else this life has to offer. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, Solomon writes, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This is another theme that Solomon has come back to repeatedly in our study of Proverbs. Before anyone said, Birds of a feather flock together, or We become like the company we keep, Solomon told us basically the same thing. In light of the previous verse, we see that fools not only think that it's a bad idea to turn from evil, but they also fail to choose their friends wisely. On the other hand, we see that there's a connection between wisdom and having proper desires, because the pursuit of desires should be done in a wise way and with wise people. When I was only slightly older than my son is now, I made some huge mistakes and suffered great harm, both emotionally and physically, and looking back, I can see that a lot of that suffering was due to the fact that I was in the company of fools. In light of this principle, if you're a parent, it's in the best interest of your child and yourself for you to become enough involved in your child's life that you know who their friends are. For myself, few things in life bring me greater satisfaction than knowing that, A, my children love the Lord, genuinely love the Lord, and B, that they're choosing friends who share their love for the Lord. And if you're younger than 18 and you know that your parents don't approve of your friends, know this. Know that it's usually because they understand this principle that Solomon's giving us here, and they're only looking out for your best interests. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 21, Solomon writes, "...adversity pursues sinners, but the righteous will be rewarded with prosperity." Once again, Solomon reminds us of consequences. There are a few things in life that you do which have no consequences. For example, if you eat properly, there will be consequences. Good health. If you don't eat properly, there will be consequences. Poor health. If you lie, the consequence is humiliation when you get caught or when you confess it. If you pick a fight with the wrong type of person, the consequence is that they'll hunt you down and hurt you. In fact, that's exactly what Solomon tells us is the consequence for being a sinner. He doesn't tell us that sinners Find adversity, he tells us that adversity hunts them down and finds them. Have you ever wondered? how a huge boa constrictor catches prey that are able to move a lot more quickly than the snake itself is. It's because the boa constrictor hunts its prey wisely, laying low, waiting for their unsuspecting prey to rest for even a moment. And that's exactly how adversity pursues sinners as well. All sin must be paid for. And Paul told us in his letter to the Romans that the wage of sin is death. That's from Romans chapter 6, verse 23. On the other hand, the righteous are rewarded with prosperity. And uh, that's what it says in this translation. But I actually don't think that the word prosperity fits here. The Hebrew word that gets translated as prosperity is translated literally hundreds more times as good or as goodness. But fewer than ten times we find it translated as prosperity. So I would argue that goodness is thus a better translation here. For example, we find this same Hebrew word used in Psalm chapter 23, verse 6, where we read, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That blessing of goodness is promised to everyone who trusts in Jesus for their salvation. What a wonderful, wonderful consequence. So let me ask you this. What consequence lies at the end of the road that you're traveling on? Adversity or goodness? I'm Toby Logs, and this has been your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.